Would you open God's precious holy word to John chapter 17? We're in the part which is the great intercessory prayer of Jesus Christ. We have here in chapter 17 a reflection, a teaching of how Christ even prays for us today, those who are his own. The first part, Christ prayed for himself. Then last time we started the second part of this prayer in which Christ prays for his disciples. And we saw the first part of this last time. We resume here in verse 11, but I would call your attention to verse 20, which we get there maybe next week. Where Christ says, I don't pray for these only, but for all of those that you will give me who will believe. Therefore, what is prayed for with regard to his 11 disciples that are with him here at this point, he prays the same thing for all believers who will become his own, even in a time when we weren't yet born. And the beauty of the prayer, as I said earlier, is that it's the only word-for-word -word prayer of Jesus that we see. We see a lot of times that he goes, he withdraws, he goes into the mountain, whatever, and he prays to his Father for the will of the Father. And we'll see a word here and there what he is praying or how he's praying. But only here are we admitted into the Holy of Holies where our great high priest is in communion with, as it says here, the Holy Father. Now he continues in what he, has, in what he is asking for his disciples here. And when we see this, we have to understand these principles are applied to us as well, those of us who are in Christ. So then, beginning in verse 11, and I am no longer in the world, and yet they are in the world, and I am coming to you. This is a remarkable statement. Jesus declares an end to his earthly kind of ministry. Now, he still has to go to the cross, of course, and the resurrection. But he's not ministering anymore physically, not even at this point now, to his disciples. Jesus, the Son, says to the Father, 
Father, you know I'm out of here. I'm coming to you. He will depart from his place of prayer here, head to Gethsemane, and his passion, of course, will begin where he sweats blood and gets so passionate about what he is feeling and sensing, which is namely taking upon himself all of our sins. So he says here, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm no longer in the world. This now, I'm about to enter into a spiritual realm and I'm about to do battle with the serpent and nobody can come with me. And he even knows that uh, the father, since he will essentially be made sin, as we are taught in the New Testament, that the father for that moment, for that time span, must turn away and withdraw from the son. So that the son can become that which he never was to receive the punishment he does not deserve so that I can be blessed with a blessing that I do not deserve. And it will be such that by declaration and justification, a punishment that is mine, I deserve, will be foregone and atoned for. Atonement. God the Son, the Lamb of God. So that's where his head is. I'm not in the world anymore. I'm out, I'm, I'm out of it. But they're still here. We've already seen a passage earlier where Christ told them that they'll be hated by the world. They'll hate you. They'll kill you. But I'm going to leave with you my peace and my joy. They can't understand that right now. They still have to go through the experience of watching the suffering and death of Jesus. The one they have given themselves for. They've invested their lives, their existence into Jesus and what he means and who he is. And they're destined in just a little while to go through confusion, maybe even hysteria to some degree, to see what the world, they don't understand it like that just then, but to see what the world is doing to Jesus. J Jesus is headed for it. He knows he is. I'm out of the world now. I'm headed to you, Father. See, what Christ is seeing is the glory that it's all bringing and his restoration back to the Father. I'm coming to you. He continues his prayer. This is an intercessory prayer. The principles that are laid down in this prayer are the very principles of prayer that Jesus is praying now for his own as our high priest. And you can read about that in Hebrews 7, even into chapters 9 and 10. Christ 
as Aaron the high priest offers the sacrifice, which is himself. He's both the high priest like Aaron, and he's the sacrifice, the, the unblemished sacrifice. Now, he is the high priest like Melchizedek, the king of righteousness, Malachi Shalom, the king of peace. That's what he's doing now. He is in high priestly robes. He is, he is in great splendor. And his glory has come back to him in his ascension. And he is interceding for me and for all of those who are his. He's keeping us saved. I have no righteousness, none. I will continue in this this drudgery, like Paul writes in Romans 7, these, uh, who will deliver me from this body of death? Apparently the reference was made to those who were accused of murder in, as a Roman citizen. Before they were executed, they had to take the corpse of the person they had killed and walk around with it tied to their backs for a while. That's kind of like me, you know, I'm, I, and you are too in this present life. We're not glorified yet, and we struggle with it, and we pray, and we do all we can do. We have the Holy Spirit who teaches us and leads us and guards us and warns us, but we still stumble so that above all of that, we have a high priest, our high, the high priest, like Melchizedek, who is in heaven because he always lives. He's not like the priest of the Old Testament. They live and they die and another one comes along and they have to keep offering these animals. No more. He is the final sacrifice, the only sacrifice. And our high priest, so he says, I'm coming to you. But he continues his intercession. Holy Father, to call him Holy Father. Holy Father in whose presence sin cannot stand, who has sworn within himself to destroy all sin and evil and iniquity. Holy Father, who loves the Son and therefore loves all who are in the Son. Holy Father, who absolutely will put sin away from those whom he's given to his son. Puts our sin away because he's holy father. And we must stand in righteousness before him. Therefore, we are clothed as believers in the righteousness of Christ. I was born on July the 4th, 1951. I don't know when I'll die. Maybe today. Maybe I'm hoping for rapture. I'm claustrophobic. The thought of a casket kind of worries me, but I know it won't really matter. Still, you don't mind if I still get worried about it, do you? So rapture sounds a lot better to me than burial. Doesn't matter. Because on the day when my earthly life is stopped... Finally, all of that is put away. But until then, and forevermore, I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ. 
even all the way to the day I die, there is no righteousness in me. None. Whatever that is done for the glory of Christ is done because of Christ in me. Christ is doing it through me. He does it through you. I can't claim any reward or honor for that. It is, that's why we cast crowns at his feet. We make this great acknowledgement in heaven at last. There was never any righteousness in me. It's all yours. And I praise your name forever for it. Therefore, we can't go around bragging in heaven. Boy, I was, I was a real catch when I got saved. Foot. Ain't none of us a good catch. We're all bad catches. But he saves us anyway. Because he has given us to the son and therefore has clothed us in the righteousness of his son. And thus we are righteous. He is holy father. And as Holy Father, he therefore absolutely declares that because we are in Christ who died for us, we are in Christ and therefore made holy before him. There's nothing holy about me except that which God does for me, justifies me, looks upon me and sees the righteousness of Christ. Holy Father. Keep them in your name. There's that word again, to keep. And that word, Tedison from Tereo, which I've told you before. It's a sentinel. It means to uh, guard, guard, to keep us, to guard us. We are kept. We are saved and we are kept in the holy name of God. Keep them in your name. Not because of your name. Keep them within yourself. In your name, which you have given me. Now look at this phrase. That they may be one as we are. Now people look at that and go, so well... That means that the Lord is praying that we won't have any fussing or fighting at church. No, that's not what that means at all. It's far above that. Now, there are some practical instructions about church unity later on in the New Testament. But listen, this is divine unity. That they may be one as we are, as we are one. The Son is in the Father. We are in the Son. The Spirit is in us. And the Father and the Son have sent forth the Spirit. And the Father and the Son and the Spirit, they are one. And now we are one with the holy, great, triune God. We are in God. You can't find any more security than that. Forever and forever, that they may be one as we are one. Wow. To be in God. To be in Christ is to be 
in God. Now, this is what Jesus, this is his intercessory prayer. He's praying something like that even now all the time for us. He ever lives, Hebrews 7 says, to make intercession for us. This is his life. This is his job. We keep him busy, don't we? He spends a lot of time in my behalf. So then, we are in him. We are in God. In God. And we are one with the great triune God. As God himself is within himself and is one. That's a powerful statement. How much more secure and eternal could we be than to know that we are in God and that he prays everlastingly in heaven as our high priest to keep that ever before heaven and the Godhead himself. That they may be one as we are one. I'm leaving them. But I want them protected. You ever, you know, your kids get to a certain point And you think, man, I got to go out of the house for a little while. But I can't take them with me. I have to leave them at home. And you give them this list of do's and don'ts, right? I'm going to take care of you. Now, if somebody breaks in and you're in the kitchen, the butcher knives are over there in the butcher block. The AR-15 is in daddy's closet. <laughs> no, nah, whatever. But you want to protect them, right? <laughs> and take care of them. Man, my kids are all now grown, wiser, smarter, and richer than I am. And I'm still wanting to take care of them. Thus, Christ is leaving these 11. Keep them. Guard them. In your name, there's nothing above your name but your word that you have exalted above your name. Keep them in your name. These whom you've given me, that they may be so secure that they are in us. Wow. This is intercessory prayer. This is Christ praying for me and something like this even now. When I was with them, I was keeping them in your name. You understand, Christ guarded them. He was God, the presence of God, God the Son. When I was with them, I was keeping them in your name which you've given me, those you've given me, 
And I guarded them. Now that's a different word. Fulixin. It means to protect from outside threats. It's a different Greek word. Nothing was going to get to them as long as I was with them, but I'm out of here. They still need to be protected because the world hates them. And they still have work to do. I guarded them. And none of them has perished. All that the Father gives to me, I will not lose one. Same prayer. Christ guarding his own. And through every generation, not a single one of us has perished. Except those who are the son of destruction. Judas. Not one of them, none of them has perished except the son of destruction. That the scripture might be fulfilled. What is that? We saw earlier, much earlier, Christ declared, I have chosen you 12 and one of you is a devil. That was never a secret to Jesus. He knew he chose Accordingly, according to scripture. Now, he's about to leave the 11. He won't be physically with them anymore because he's out of here. He is now taking himself out of that part of ministry and into this spiritual ministry where he will engage the serpent personally and crush his head at the cross. None of them has perished except the son of destruction. That the scripture might be fulfilled. What does that mean? Here's what it means. It means that if you're in Christ, you're always saved. And the Bible has never declared anything but that. But it also means that if you're not in Christ, you ain't saved. That the scripture might be fulfilled. Finally, we are headed to the great separation at the great white throne when all of the current existence, when all of the universe, when all of the current creation is dissolved and flies away from the presence of the one on the throne. And the books are open. And all of the sons of destruction will be raised in the second resurrection, cast into the lake of fire. That the scripture might be fulfilled. It will be fulfilled. No doubt about it. It hasn't missed yet. It hasn't missed a beat yet to this point. But isn't it wonderful how Christ in his intercessory prayer separates the true believer from the false so-called believer. Even in his prayer, he knows. These are mine. You gave them to me and none of them has perished. Not a one of them will ever perish. Except the son of destruction. 
And this fulfills the scripture. That all that you've given to me will come to me. They'll never be cast out. However, now I'm coming to you. And I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy fulfilled within them. <laughs> okay, now catch, catch this. I have given them your word and the world hated them because they're not of the world even as I'm not of the world. Now listen to what he says here. I have given them my joy to be fulfilled within them. Do you know what's about to happen? They are about to scatter like scaredy cats. The chief one among them will deny Christ with cursing and swearing. They will hide and tremble in fear. And the very one who prays this prayer will be slaughtered to finally die on the cross. And yet he says he is having joy. My joy fulfilled within them. How can this be? Look at the rest of it. I have given them your word. The world hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Finally, beyond all of the struggles and tribulations of this life, finally, regardless of how bad this life may seem, finally, how do we feel? We feel blessed that we're not of this world. This world is headed for destruction, absolute destruction, but not those of us who are in Christ. And this gives us joy. After the immediate events that are about to follow, then Christ is resurrected. Oh, what joy. Christ speaks here in the future that his joy is to know that he has redeemed all of those of every age within the human story whom the Father has given to him. And he will enjoy our presence and we will enjoy his presence and we will be filled with his joy into the ages of the ages of the ages so that in life, Something disappoints us. It might even make us cry. And then we stop and reflect on his word. I have given them your word. The world hated them. And the only reason the world hates them is because they're not of this world. Just as I'm not of this world. We have this joy. We think to ourselves, who in the world could enjoy this present world. Who could enjoy it? Not those who are in Christ. We do not seek the so-called joy of this world because we know there is none. Finally, there is none. Only joy in Christ. One of the 
gifts of the Spirit. And so we struggle through life. We have failures. Then death surrounds us. And finally, death even overcomes us. But even the thought of it, we have joy. Because Christ has overcome the world. That's what he said earlier. We saw it. Be happy. Don't worry. Have peace. I have overcome the world. In other words, I did it for you. So that we are more than conquerors in Christ. He did all of the fighting. And we're the ones who get the reward for it. So... Keep them, guard them. I've given them your word. They understand the hatred of the world, but they're also going to understand the joy that is my joy that is within them. That's where we are. And this is his prayer. Okay, you're, maybe you're facing a difficult thing in life right now. I don't know what it is, but I'll, you, you'll, you'll never regret closing your eyes and praying and then reflecting upon the promises of God. And feel anything other than happiness and joy. Because the worst thing we could think of, I suppose, is physical death. Well, being cast into the lake of fire. But that, for me, that thought never enters my mind. I only have the joy of heaven in my heart. So even death, because Christ has defeated death, I have no fear of that. So then his joy is my joy. I'm going through something difficult, something hard. But if I just be still and let God be God, and I reflect upon the wonders of the promises of my Lord, joy displaces fear and peace the peace of Christ comes into my heart. Why? Because he gave me his word. That's what he says here. I've given them your word. Even the hatred of the world won't mean anything to them because they have my word and your word. And they're not of the world. We are otherworldly. I do not ask that you should take them out of the world. They still have a job to do. They will have a great commission that comes upon them after the Lord is resurrected. The importance of the Word of God being scattered like seed into the world or being cast out as a net, the importance of that has already been explained by Christ. The only ones who can do this with conviction and with the direction and guidance of the Holy Spirit are those who are in Christ. So the 11 will have a great commission and that great commission has been passed down to every generation of believers and now is our responsibility. And what do we do? We spread the word of God. 
What is Jesus saying about his 11? I'm not praying that you take them out of the world. They're going to suffer and cry and be scared to death. They're even going to die and be persecuted. But before that happens, I know they will perform their task. I'm not asking for you to take them out of the world because they have a job yet to do. But I'm asking that you should keep them from the evil one. The evil one is very, very strong and powerful. He invades every nation. He invades every hall of higher learning. He invades every institution and every organization. He invades every church. And he invades every family and every life. And we must stand firm in the word. Because we're not of the world and the world hates us. Sooner or later we'll be taken out of the world, but not until... We perform that which God has placed us here to do. Therefore, his prayer in heaven right now for me is keep him from the evil one. Too many traps are being laid for me. Too many lies are being told to me or about me. The pits, the holes, the stumbling blocks. He has them all around like a minefield. Keep him from the evil one. Keep them from the evil one. He is strong and he will tempt. He's a liar, the father of lies, and a murderer. Keep them from the evil one. That's what he prays for you and me right now. Right now. They're not of the world. As I am not of the world, sanctify them by the truth. That word sanctify, I guess, and that's, that's a kind, it comes from the same root as holy or holiness, to set us apart for God's holy purpose. Set them apart by the truth. What in my heart and in my life separates me from all of the dogma of this world. The things that are being shoved down my throat, placed before my eyes, trying to be planted into my brain, what is it that separates me from all of that? The truth of the Word of God. Absolute truth. And I'm separated from all these other things, by the truth, this is, what, this is what our high priest is praying for us as he prayed for them. We are not of the world. Father, separate them in holiness. Separate them from the evil world and from sin by the truth. Your word is truth. The greatest thing that you can do on a daily basis is not to jog or to walk or to go to, to go to work. 
The greatest thing that you should do and you should take as a responsibility and as a joy is to read the Word of God constantly. Go all the way through it and start over again and keep doing it. And if something confuses you, get you some books or get online to BibleHub.com and find the answer in the Word of God until the Holy Spirit soothes you and settles you down. We are sanctified, set apart, separated from the world by the truth. Your word is truth. Through the, through the quarterlies and the journals and so-called Christian magazines and so forth, newsletters that I read and I'm inundated with online on a daily basis, I'm seeing more and more compromise, even in the so-called church, among churches, compromise, compromise, compromise. Try to keep one foot in the world and the other foot in heaven. It can't be done. Jesus said, you're either for me or against me. You can't serve two masters. You can't straddle the fence. It's one or the other. What separates us in Christ? Oh, please, God, what separates shallow is that to the best that we can, we try to study and apply his word, the truth, to life, and to the situations of life that we come across. May it ever be so until the end of the age, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world. And I sanctify them for myself. Now, how do you think the Father's going to respond to that? I set them apart for myself. They were yours, you gave them to me. And I've set them apart for me, for myself, that they may also be sanctified, sanctified in truth. Truth. There's no compromise for a believer, none at all. It's a rather easy life if you just surrender to it. Nothing difficult about it. To be sanctified in truth. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Perhaps today, God is calling you to come to Christ. Or maybe as a believer, he's calling you to come and be a part of Shiloh. In just a moment, we'll be dismissed. As you exit, there will be a room or two rooms with deacons and wives ready to pray with you, talk to you about salvation in Christ or about membership at Shiloh. As God leads you, you step into there and let them talk with you and pray with you. All right, let's stand together.